This week, we dive into the staircase on Discovery Plus. When Kathleen Peterson was found deceased at the bottom of the staircase in her Durham, North Carolina home, questions and speculations soon arose. Many theories were presented, but few answers were provided. Animal attacks, exhumations, and fraud investigations fuel this case full of twists and turns. So let's spill the tea. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And And we are Crime TV. This one looked so interesting to me, especially given that the main suspect here, Michael Peterson from Durham, North Carolina. I'm a North Carolina native, so it kind of piques my interest. You don't hear that many high-profile murder cases coming out of North Carolina. So this was super interesting to me as a North Carolina native. Mm-hmm. I begged you for like weeks to cover this case. I know. It's been more than weeks. It's been like months. <laughs> it's It's been so long, but I could not wait to cover this case. So here we are, the staircase. You finally gave in. And what were your thoughts? Now that you've given in, are you glad that we are doing this one? Well, where should we start? Should we start at the beginning? Yeah, let's start at the beginning. Okay. They kind of jump right into it. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. fluff here, really. And that's something that's kind of new to a lot of the ones we've watched. We always get context, background, fluff. There was no fluff on this one. And I don't know. I didn't think I would like it as much as I did. But jumping straight into this crime, I'm here for it, honestly. Well, you're always talking about, oh, we don't need all this backstory. So I'm glad it appealed to you. It's very rare that we start with the murder. Well, I think one thing that helped was because this was 2001 and... That's recent enough that no one needs context about the time period Mm -hmm. or what was going on in the world because it honestly was not relevant. We've talked so much about killers in the 70s and 80s and they gave a lot of context in what was going on in the country at that time. The rock and roll, Satanism, unrest, those kinds of things. Literally our last four episodes. (laughs) Yeah, but this doesn't really call for that. It was 2001. This particular case... Could have happened in any time period, and I think it would have been the same story. Yeah, so it didn't call for any kind of context or fluff. Like, 2001, here we go. Which helped, I think, for sure. They get right into it, basically, with the 911 call. And he sounded very distraught in that 911 call. We saw this with the Menendez brothers. Obviously, they sounded very distraught, but they also very clearly did it. I think it's really hard to judge when you hear that kind of panic in someone's voice at a 911 call. It's hard to judge whether that's genuine or not because I don't think anyone can really comprehend like what's going through your mind unless you were in that situation. Right. I mean, obviously we all know it would be extremely eerie if you hear a 911 call saying like, I've killed someone. Or not even I've killed someone, but like calling in an accident if they really did it and they're just super calm, like you would immediately get eerie vibes. Well, you know the whole story, but recently I had to call 911 and I feel like I couldn't get my words out fast enough. Like I just wanted to give them all this information and they're like, okay, ma'am, like calm down, slow down. I'm like, I fucking can't. Like, I, I gotta get this out. And I was talking 90 to nothing. And I feel like in these ones that it is a true 911 call, they aren't acting. You can tell that that's what they're at. They're they're just frantic, getting all the information out that is relevant and that can help them. 
Yeah. And I feel like that's what we really saw with Michael Peterson. If I had just heard the 911 call, stopped the documentary there, and didn't watch or know anything further, I would have 100%, yeah, like, his wife just fell down the stairs. Right. That 911 call was, I think, exactly the reaction we would expect from someone who witnessed something terrible happen. And that actually was a good way to start off this documentary, I think, because it piqued my interest. I was like, okay, well... Yeah, it's a good hook. I was like, I know that this guy becomes a suspect, or why would there be a documentary on this? Like, I know this was a high-profile case, but we're starting off with something that seems so clearly like a genuine accident. You're like, well, there's got to be more because we're here watching this documentary. So it immediately pulls you in because you're like, okay, well, what happened next? Why Mm -hmm. did they start to think it wasn't? They went into extreme detail about literally the night that it happened. The whole crime scene, you know, there's after the 911 call, we get into the discussion of the crime scene. And the sister described it as gallons of blood all up and down the walls. She said gallons of blood eight to ten feet up the wall. And knowing the human body, that's just not realistic. And I don't feel like eight to ten feet up the wall is realistic for a fall down the staircase. No. That's the first thing where you start to question. And then they have the detective come in and he's like, this did not look like what I've seen when people fall down the stairs. Yeah. Like usually it's like pools of blood. He was like, this looks like something else. And they immediately start to treat Michael Peterson and his son who was there as suspects because of just the immediate crime scene. I think of like the impact of falling down the stairs, just tumbling down the stairs, hitting your head. I don't feel like that's enough force for it to go eight to 10 feet up the wall. That's hard for me to, I'm a very visual person. So having, thank goodness, never had been in a situation where I have even seen someone have a traumatic event to their body. Oh, I I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, but you're, well, but your dad is, uh emt so yeah my, my whole family is first responders so i'm so, sure you have heard a lot more like i don't have any exposure to that stuff personally so i'm gonna take you for your word at this one that yeah right. that's not typical of a fall down the stairs which right. is what detective said and so at this point now i've got two conflicting things going on in my head i've heard the 911 call from michael peterson the way he's acting in the house and i've heard the detectives arriving on the scene going whoa 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 this is not a fall down. This does not look like any fall down the stairs we've ever seen. We need to start collecting evidence, get them to take their clothes off, to bag it up like this. We need to start processing this. Mm-hmm. And one interesting thing that they mentioned was that Michael was running around bare feet when they arrived, but they found his shoes and had blood all over them. So at some point, either he came in and took off his shoes during all of the 911 call or whatever, or he was trying to cover something up. I, I'm still on the fence like this. That was not the moment for me that did it because I am a chronic shoes off in the house person. But also, while I'm talking on the phone or something, I need to be doing something, whether it's with my hands or my feet or legs. So, like, I could totally see myself just panicking, pacing around the house, not paying attention to where I'm stepping, 
and slip my shoes off just for something physical to be doing while I'm trying to talk to officers or to to the 911 operator. I could see myself taking shoes off in a situation like that. Not because it was a conscious thought, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I need to take my shoes off for blood. Not like that, but just like a muscle memory, like your body just is, you're just doing things to be doing them. Yeah, I mean, I really don't have any thoughts on that whole part of it. I'm just like, okay, like, this cleanliness. I was like, oh, fuck, my my shoes are all bloody. Like, let me stop stomping around my mansion. Well, that too. And then somebody said that accidental falls are the leading causes of death in the U.S. outside of motor vehicle accidents. I thought it was heart issues. Uh, it's uh, 1,200 other things. So maybe it's like non-medical or something. I I don't know, but I know that it's heart disease. Right. Heart disease. Obesity. Obesity. Yeah. There's a lot of other things, but you know, the second largest killer in America being falling down a staircase in your own home. Well, come on. Home accident. Right. That could be a saw, a ladder, the stairs. I think maybe, although they left it out, which, shame on you documentary, although they left it out, I think that probably had to have been non-health related. Like, non-health or medical, like you yeah. said. Because there's no way, that's that's just not true. Right. Like, I, I also noticed that. I was like, what? That doesn't seem like, right. Oh my gosh, like, you know, this- somebody in my family just died, my mm-hmm. aunt just died, oh, she fell in the kitchen what no (laughs) it really felt like they were walking us through the events of that night so that was kind of nice to see like a play-by-play of exactly what happened um one thing i will say though because we've done some cases on much older crimes Mm -hmm. you know 60s 70s and they've all had at least a little bit of actual footage, either from officers, from news. But this one, from 2001, when we know they would have had to start having... I don't know if they would have had body cams at that time. No, body cams are, you know, Later. a more recent thing. But they do have camcorders, like part of the crime scene technician filming. This entire documentary was, aside from, I think, some media coverage in the courtrooms once we got to the trial stage, but this was entirely reenactment. Now that I think of it, there was like a few photos from the crime scene, but really there wasn't a whole lot of on-the-scene footage. Yeah, I was surprised at the lack of real footage, and maybe that came down to the children in the family not wanting it released or used. Yeah. They all seemed... Kind of private. A little private and very supportive of their father all the way through, even today. So I imagine that most of them declined to speak about it and preferred to keep any footage that maybe could have been used private. I could have definitely, this is all speculation obviously, but I could definitely see that being a reason. Because also the only two family members we see talking about this are the sister and Kathleen's daughter. And those were the only two that also believed that Michael had done something to Kathleen. 
I also had to wonder during this and watching it if part of that was maybe a little biased. I think the documentary itself did pretty good at showing all sides and facts of the case, but I did wonder if there was maybe a little bit of bias present just because of the nature of it and and what happened. The only two perspectives we have are from the two people who do think that he is guilty. And then they got into the discussion of him being in possession of gay porn. And I feel like that's not really relevant. It's not really something worth noting. Up until they found Kathleen's blood on the items. I really didn't feel like that was relevant up until that point. But then that begs the question to me is if whatever blood he's carrying around on him, why is it that important that while your wife's blood is still fresh on you, enough to drop, why are you going to run and look at your gay porn items or stash? I feel like there's a lot of other things. Well, my theory to that would be, and I'll address my other issue with this, my theory with that would be that if this was more than just an accident, maybe even if it wasn't, either way, he knew that police were coming to the house. He probably knew that this would get publicized. He maybe even suspected that he would be looked at as a suspect because he, he was a smart guy. He was a writer. He was by no means stupid. And maybe it was less about anything to do with Kathleen's death, but more about his own shame. He didn't want that to be publicized. And if you even had an inkling that your house was going to be searched or anything like that, I think maybe it was just an immediate attempt to not have that come to light in the media. That's a good segue to talk about how his male escort was brought to the stand. So he was in the army and he kind of plays off of that military kink, whatever. I'm not here to kink shame anybody, but I do love the line that he kind of introduces himself with. And he says, everybody has a certain talent in life and I knew how to market my talents. I was like, you know what? You're right. You go, boo. (laughs) I mean, not the lifestyle for me, but if that works for you, if that feeds your family, hey, so be it. I mean, if you're good at something, you're good at it. Don't be ashamed of it. We could all use the confidence of that former male escort. Yeah, he was like, I don't give a shit. (laughs) And also, you know, I think maybe I just missed the point, but I don't feel that he really needed to be a witness in the trial either. Mm -hmm. What was he contributing to that trial? I think they're trying to like attack his character because this is something that I noted. One of the prosecutors was like, that's hardcore porn and soulmates don't do that. Like just because your marriage is vanilla tapioca pudding doesn't mean that everybody else's has to be. Well, I think in 2001, it would be safe to say that the idea of an open marriage or... Just anything except soft missionary. Yeah, just all of that. Like, it's not something people were as comfortable talking about even then as they are now. My, how 20 years has changed us. We're just so much more open to stuff. I think in 2001, by a jury, hearing that would have maybe made them question his devotion to his wife. And that's what they needed. They needed that the question of his devotion to her because they didn't really have a motive. So they had to bring into question how close he really was to his wife because there was no motive. And then towards the end of episode two, they kind of started basically shitting on the blood analyst theories when he was testing all those theories. They're like, oh, we didn't 
tell you to test that. Well, I think part of being a scientist is testing your theories. Well, absolutely. And they're like, oh, we didn't tell you to test for that. And I think that the thought was, and I don't think that he was necessarily wrong at this point, you have to test the absence of things. If we test for that and discover a blood spatter pattern that might be similar, it might give us clues to how she could have fallen down the stairs. So I don't think them trying to discount him on that, like you said, is relevant. If I'm the defendant's attorney and I'm like, oh, just check to see if she fell down the first 10 steps. But maybe it was possible that my client actually threw her down the top of the steps. As a scientist, I wouldn't want somebody to feed me information to skew the results. Right. If you're trying to test a theory or look at a possible scenario, you're not going to narrow your window for something like that. So at the end of this trial, Michael Peterson is found guilty. And then Larry Pollard... A former neighbor of the Petersons feels like he has a civic duty to look at the case. And he gets into this owl theory. And when I first presented the owl theory, I was like, you have got to be shitting me. But Aaron, with your credentialing, your, hey. zoo- your zoology background, being from North Carolina even... Can you speak a little bit more on the aggressive owl situation? So this was presented at the very end of the documentary mm-hmm. as like a last ditch throw in. Right. And I first want to say, why are you going to end on this note? Like we did a whole documentary, you can kind of decide for yourself whether you think all of this was justified or not. But also the owls. And you're like, whoa, 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 what? Fucking owls, man. Thought we were done with this documentary because it's literally shoved into like the last 10 minutes. Yep. <laughs> Which is a weird documentary choice, in my opinion. But that being said, a couple things that really took me off guard about this. First off, yes, owls can be aggressive. I didn't even know it was towards humans. Well, but here, here. That's the third leading cause right next to fault in the home. Right? Owls. Here's my thing. I even looked for sources of owl cases of fatalities in owls. Mm -hmm. I could not find a definitive answer on Google. So that's my first clue, because he's like, yes, many people are killed by owls. No, couldn't find an example. Owls can be dangerous. They can certainly inflict heavy damage. They have very, very sharp talons. Yes, an owl can hurt you. Absolutely. I have no question of that. Would an owl be in Durham, North Carolina, in an affluent neighborhood, come up on someone's porch? I don't think so. I don't see that happening. One of the things when they were presenting this owl theory that put a question mark above my head, if she was attacked by an owl on her back porch when she's having a nice, quiet, romantic dinner with her husband, would she not be like, yes, yes. That's the other thing that I did not like about throwing out owl like this. If you were getting attacked by an owl, listen, I don't know how many people have any experience with getting attacked by an owl. Um, Not very many, obviously. Hardly any. But if you're getting attacked by an owl, any animal, yeah, you're going to be yelling. Michael Peterson would have heard it. Neighbors would have heard something. You're not just going to quietly be like, oh, this hurts. And if it's aggressive enough of an attack to end up being fatal, no, you're not taking that in silence. No way. I will say that the lacerations on the back of her head, I could see how it would look like a three-pronged talon. Yes. I I could see that. But the fact that... There was no screaming or her husband even made the remark of her screaming by owl attack. It just doesn't sit right with me. Well, also, 
I mean, you would hear wings. Owls have a surprisingly large wingspan, okay? If they're flapping to grab into something, you're going to hear their wings hitting her head, hitting her arms. And owls do screech. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying, given everything else that we know about this scenario, and I don't think that it would be plausible in this situation that an owl did that. And they tried to solidify it by saying, oh, we found a microscopic feather. Okay, did they own any down pillows, down comforters, down blankets? This is something I found in my research. So I don't think that they mentioned this in the documentary, but within the owl theory, they also found in a clump of bloody hair, tanglement, a little sliver of a tree branch. So they should have probably included that. Mm -hmm. But also, if you're sitting outside in your backyard with presumably trees around right and a fire that presumably you have wood mm-hmm. at circumstantial it wouldn't be that strange to have a small piece of tree in your right hair. it's not where you're gonna like find your hitting point on your theory at well and the other thing too was like they talked about finding this microscopic feather and and the lawyer talked about how horned owls do have microscopic feathers all the way up to their talons mm-hmm. across the feet that you can't really see But we never actually got it clarified that the feather found in her hair was from an owl. Plenty of things have feathers. If you're not going to also, in this theory, confirm by lab that that feather was an owl feather, I'm not buying it. They throw another massive curveball. Yeah. We find out that 16 years prior, Peterson's neighbors from across the street in Germany was also found at the foot of her stairs dead. After he had walked her home. Last known connection, once again, Michael Peterson. The chances of that being a coincidence? Slim. So, so slim. So slim. That one was ruled an accident as well. And he even adopted her children. Right. You don't do that to the person you murdered. I don't feel like. You don't think that? You don't think so? If you were to murder somebody, you wouldn't adopt their kids. So you're saying you don't think that he killed her? I don't know how she died. It's real fishy, I will admit. But I feel like if you murder someone, you're not going to adopt their kids. And then on the other hand, what would he have to gain from killing Elizabeth Radcliffe? Yeah, that's a good point. There was no motive in that one. If anything, they were good friends. If everything was normal between us, I wouldn't go and push you down a flight of stairs. Thank you. I mean, that's if you act right. Yeah, I mean, that's true. There was no motive for that. But I just can't fathom that that would happen twice to this one man. Well, it's the second leading cause of death in America. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they said. Okay. Sure. But so her two daughters that were adopted by Michael are eventually coaxed into exhuming their mom's body in order to clear their adoptive dad. And I feel such a specific way about exhuming somebody's body. I don't know how to put it in words. I feel like it's very, not intrusive, but if a person's resting in peace, I feel like you're just messing up that peace by exhuming their body. And I understand for criminal prosecution like this or investigations, it happens. But for me, that's such a last resort. Well, I think in this case, I'm kind of glad they did because turns out she had very, very similar lacerations on the back of her head as well. 
And that's the part that's the real kicker to me. That also kind of put the nail in the coffin for... Ooh, bad phrase. Um, Yikes, friend. I really didn't mean to. Um, That really solidified the idea for me that it wasn't an owl. Because it's fishy enough that two women have died at the foot of stairs last with Michael Peterson. But to then say that the gashes on both of their heads were so similar. And then you're trying to say one of those was caused by an owl, but one wasn't. Mm -mm. One of the things that they talk about with Elizabeth Radcliffe's death is she had this blood clotting disorder. And she was having major headaches the weeks prior. And she had a brain hemorrhage and... So, was she going up the flight of stairs? And that's whenever a hemorrhage did whatever a hemorrhage does. And she tumbled down the stairs. And that's how she got lacerations on the back of her head from the steps. Or... Yeah, but they were saying in Kathleen's case that those kinds of lacerations would not be caused by hitting her head on the steps. We can't have it both ways, homie. It's just so weird. I know. I know. And that's what I think drives a lot of the mystery around this case is because there's just so many things that are back and forth and yes and no and maybe maybe not i just i don't know what to think about this so we have the phony blood spatter analyst they called for fifteen thousand cases to be re-examined hundreds of those cases were found to be mishandled and the five most critical were all Dwayne Deaver's cases, which he was the one that was the blood spatter analyst for Michael's case. And this is how Michael Peterson ends up getting out of prison after nine years. Yeah, he takes the Alford plea deal, which basically says, like, I'll take a lesser charge, but I get out today for time served. Yeah, still a convicted criminal. Right, but I don't have to go back to jail. Right. I mean, his life is probably already ruined at this point. He spent 98 months in jail and he's not going to have a normal life after that. No. With all the publicity and speculation that's around that case, he's just not going to have a normal life. Yeah. So it's almost better to go ahead and take that lesser charge and go home today than rather fight it and then possibly go back to jail. Well, especially given that he maintains to this day that he didn't kill her. Right. He maintains his innocence. That's one thing, that's another thing that kind of made me question what was true in this case, because in a lot of other cases, Menendez brothers, Ramirez, everything, once they go to court and they get sentenced, even if during court, obviously their plea was not guilty, once they're in jail, they're willing to talk about it and like, yeah, I did it. Because they're already in jail, they're serving that time. Michael Peterson still denies that he had anything to do with this, and given how frequently murderers talk once they're already in jail, I think that kind of says a lot. That does make me question whether he really did it or not, because for a while there, until that Dwayne Deaver investigation, he thought he was spending the rest of his life in prison. What would he gain from maintaining that he didn't do it? Right. So when it's all said and done, where do you stand on this? Do you think that horrible owl accident? Do you think it was a fall down the stairs? Do you think the husband had something to do with it? What's your theory? Obviously not an owl. Okay. I'm going to throw that one right out. I don't know. I don't know. Even with John Benet, I had my kind of what I thought. Mm-hmm. I On this one, I'm really, really 50-50. I truly can't decide what my my opinion on this is. For me, personally, I'm not a buyer of the owl theory. You know, my armchair forensic science degree. I'm thinking that the blood spatter is too high up the wall 
for it just to be a tumble down the stairs. But of course, I don't have the forensic science degree. I think he may have had something to do with it. But I don't think that they were able to prove it beyond reasonable doubt. And that's what we're looking for is beyond reasonable doubt. Okay, that's a good point. Double-edged sword there. Well, the funny thing about this case, too, is there's still so much mystery surrounding it. But, I mean, ultimately, he was convicted for this and served almost 10 years in prison for it. He was convicted of the crime. The jury decided that he was guilty of killing her, which is kind of wild that there's still so much mystery. Just one of those things, like, I guess we're never going to know. I hate that. (laughs) hate that for me. I know. (laughs) I know, but this was a very interesting one. I'm glad to have learned about it and looked into it because this really is just one of those where it's hard to make a judgment call. Hard to make a theory because so much of the evidence has so many what-ifs or could-bes behind Mm -hmm. them. So, on to the documentary. I thought this was a really well-done documentary. I'm going to give it a four and a half stars. Oh. I really liked it. Wow. Um, My only major complaint was that there was not a whole lot of footage, but that may have been out of the documentary's control. I acknowledge that the family may not have released that to them. And then the other thing is like throwing that owl thing in there at the last 10 minutes. I think they could have done that a little better. But overall, I actually thought this was a really well-made documentary. I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to go four. Okay. I feel like some of the other documentaries surrounding this case there's a little bit more interviews from the children and other people involved and i kind of wanted to see more of the family talk outside of just the sister so i wish i would have had just a little bit more of that to get the bigger picture of how the whole family felt rather than just her very understandably upset sister yeah no that's that's, yeah that's a good point that's the really only thing that i wanted to have seen But this documentary condensed it into the very core of what the case was. I I think that's a good assessment, too. But yeah, overall, I was pleasantly surprised with this one. That's an average of eight and a half cups of tea. So with that being said, tell the people what cup of tea you're drinking while you're spilling the tea today, Erin. Today, I've just got a basic green tea. Just a little pick-me-up. I'm actually very tired today. I'm trying to stay awake. I know. We're in the podcast studio now I know. it's kind of dark in here and we've got a new couch we're yes. sitting on a couch our couch is very large and cozy and it can easily seat four people and i can stretch my feet out on it and it hits like mid-calf it's very deep what are you drinking today Alyssa? girl i am sipping on this big glow vanilla caramel or caramel if you will caramel however black tea so a little black vanilla caramel black tea vanilla caramel does it actually taste like vanilla caramel it it's very sweet okay i like it i really don't put a whole lot of milk and honey in it yeah you don't do your extra (laughs) i really don't but it's just a good nice little sweetness so teaholics that is the tea on the staircase i seen on discovery plus So, you can head on over to our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, at CrimeTV. You can email us, CrimeTV at gmail.com. It's all there. We are in the process of Pod Girl Summer. We've got announcements coming on the first of the month, every single month. 
We did June already. Yeah. We got July coming up, and then we got a huge advancement coming August 1st. Yeah, so stick with us. Keep on top of our socials for all of our updates. We'll also be posting the transformation of our pod studio, so check that out coming soon. What can we expect for next week? So we are going to go take it back to Hulu for Truth and Lies, Jonestown, Paradise Lost. It's an ABC special, ABC 2020. So not so murder heavy. I mean, murder heavy. Very murder heavy. But it's a little bit more cult than we normally do. We had some feedback that people wanted to see more cult documentaries. So threw one in there for a little surprise, surprise. Very heavy themes in this one. Just be warned. Yeah, this is probably one of the heaviest. I would say it's the one of the heaviest we've done to date. So it's very heavy, but it'll be a good episode. Follow with us next week. Of course, your usual Monday. We release at 4 a.m. Central Standard Time. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And that's the tea. tea.